What is up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Colin. My name is Colin Egglesfield. Welcome. It is Monday. It is Motivation Monday. Great to see you all here. And tonight, ladies and gentlemen, you guys are in for a treat because, I mean, this is, there's no other place in the world I think you guys are going to want to be right now because we are fortunate to have with us here tonight, uh, basically the most handsomest, most beautiful man in the world. This guy has covered or been gracing the covers of magazines. When I first started modeling, this guy was like A-list, superstar, mega supermodel. When I first started out, I was like, okay, what's going on with this? I see these guys. There's this, this dude just keeps appearing in every campaign out there. And I was like, you know what? I want to be just like this guy. And so this guy went from doing all of that to being gracing the covers of all these magazines and campaigns, Dolce Gabbana, Versace, Armani. We're going to talk to him and ask him all about that. And we have a lot to uh, talk about because we have a lot of that in common. He then pursued his dream of transitioning into acting. This is something that he wanted to do from very, very early on. And we're going to be chatting with him about his acting experiences and what challenges that he overcame to get to where he's at in his career right now. This guy is incredibly cool, incredibly humble, and uh, he's been uh, working in TV and film over the past few years. He's been, you've seen him on House, you've seen him on NBC's drama Midnight Texas, where he actually worked with Ariel Kebble, who was my co-star on A Christmas Witness, so it's going to be fun to be talking about what it was like working with her. He's also been directed by Woody Harrelson in a play called This Is Our Youth. So I'm really excited about talking to him about that. He's been on Brothers and Sisters. He's been on Charmed, as have I. So we have something to talk about with uh, Alyssa Milano and all the beautiful girls that were on that show. And uh, he's just doing, he's done a ton. He also is uh, a part of a, a charity called Best Buddies. So really curious to ask him about what that is all about. And, uh, and of course, most of you know him as Mr. Smith Jared on the hugely popular, I don't know, maybe you guys have heard of the show. It's called Sex in the City. So without further ado, everyone, please welcome to the stage, Mr. Jason Lewis. Hey, Colin. What's up, Jason? How you, oh my God. I can't even take it. You're so handsome. Uh, right back at you, brother. How you doing? Dude, it's been a while. It's been a few years, but it's great to see you. You look the same. Oh, well, you know, eat right and stress little. Yeah, exactly. And uh, are you, you're currently uh, in L.A.? I am. Yeah. Uh, you know, loving California still, but thinking about maybe making the transition soon. We were talking not too long ago. Uh, yeah. Yep, yep. A little well, community maybe in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, yeah. we were just chatting about just community and you know i live here in chicago now <clears throat> and you mentioned that you're actually from southern california yeah right i grew up here uh, a little further south of los angeles when the population just was not as overrun as it is now and there was still like a little bit of a sense of almost country to it you know you saw each other you, you gave each other nods you, you know we didn't really run around as carelessly as we kind of run around with each other these days. Also didn't have social media. So that's true. Yeah. yeah. So growing up in Southern Cal, were you a surfer, skater, all that good stuff? I am your typical California boy. There's pretty much not a sport I haven't got my hands on. Uh, yeah. I think yeah. skating and biking were more uh, what I did in my really young. And then I 
got into diving and surfing and still do a lot of surfing and rock climbing these days. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. California and, uh, sports. Absolutely. Yeah. I still, to this day, have never been on a surfboard. So maybe one of these days you can. It's it. not an easy one, man. I have, yeah. a, I have a lot of sympathy for people who haven't, uh, haven't done it because you got it's unlike other sports you're you're not just contending with yourself and uh the activity you are contending with an element trying to take you out at the same time and california is yeah. not an easy place to learn we don't really have a lot of beginner waves where's a good place to, to learn uh you want to go someplace that's got a lot of white water transition there's different beaches like you know there's some beaches in hawaii there's uh beaches down in costa rica i took my girl down to a beach uh in costa rica for her learning one the water's also warmer warmer okay. water doesn't hit as hard and it doesn't freak you out as much so yeah, yeah. have you ever had any treacherous moments with waves oh yeah i've almost killed myself a bunch of times as a younger man uh probably one of the closest i ever got to i was a kite surfer for years and i was in morocco and me and a buddy we'd take off and we didn't rise we were behind the shadow of the small offshore island and when we got out we were in like 30 foot swell and my oh, kite wow. like the wind was blocking the kite when or the swell was blocking the kite at points and like threatening to drop it out of the sky and i was like oh, i do not want to swim through this so yeah. i made it back in and there was this uh, poor pelican that was just beat to hell. And he was right there. And I was like, buddy, I know how you feel. We just kind of sat there and looked at each other. Like, we made well, it, man. We're, we're glad you survived. And yes. uh, again, glad you're here. And just, to, uh, just to, to start out, so the whole thing with the modeling world, because for me, it was something that, I mean, obviously, I, I don't know too many people who grew up saying, I want to be a male model. I want to be like Derek Zoolander, you know? And uh, after college, I heard on the radio about this model talent search thing. So I went to it. Next thing you know, I was in Milan, Italy. And that's when I started seeing all the magazines with you and, and Mark Vanderloo, Alex Lundquist, Jason Fideli. Uh, yeah. And so we started to get into that whole thing. How did, uh, how did you end up in the whole modeling thing? Not too dissimilar. I had no sense of myself. I didn't think of myself uh, in that way physically. Uh, I had no idea of like that as a means. But I always wanted to travel, and particularly to France. And I, had a, I was working in a restaurant, and an older bartender one day just, he'd been pushing the idea on me, and just one day showed up with a, a shirt, and he took me to the audition after work. And okay. Uh, that led to all of a sudden I was in Paris and I was nice. over there and again, I don't think I was really taking it seriously, but then after being there, and this was back in the day when we didn't have digital tickets, you had the paper tickets. And I realized that if I went home, I would miss the chance of a, a real life adventure and the chance to grow. And so I tore mm -hmm. up the paper ticket and I scratched to survive. I sometimes stole bread from restaurants. And so when you uh, say ticket, ticket for airplane ticket. Oh, so I go tore up my return ticket just to force myself to stay. God. Okay. Wow. Um, wow. Learned French, uh, scratched out a living, made it work, and had a good time. Awesome. Yeah, and it, so was it I mean I imagine you've had a lot of the same experience. It was kind of an awesome career for a young man because the travel we got to do, the yeah. cross cultural experiences that I got to access. Yeah. 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 That was definitely something that was super eye-opening, just 
standing in line to go to these these modeling auditions. Oh, God. I, I would say, you know, you, you show up for the Versace campaign or uh, runway show or oh. the Romani or whatever it was. And we'd be standing in lines with these guys from all over the world. And I'm telling you, when you're standing there for like an hour or two waiting to go into these auditions, like I just started meeting all these guys from like Sweden and Russia and Brazil. And you just start talking about what life is like. And it was amazing just to kind of hear what life was like in all these different places around the world and get to know. Sorry. <laughs> What's that? That was a helicopter overhead. Sorry, if that blurred oh, out. Okay. No, it was. Uh, I remember having a lot of those experiences, uh, not just getting to be in different countries, but meeting people from around the world. And you know, at that time, I had never traveled to the Middle East, and I made a friend from Israel, and he's like, "Oh man, come on, your news." <laughs> you know, like <laughs> our life's beautiful over there. You guys, I was terrified. I was like, "I'm gonna go over there and I'm gonna die." Right? And he was like, "No, no, no, not yeah, come on." It's, it's, it's yeah. beautiful. I mean, what we exactly. And so once I got over there and I started to see like the, to read the news over there, it's different a lot of the times than what the news we see here in the United States. The narrative is different. And I would just encourage anyone who has the opportunity to just get out and travel. And when you start Very to meet people, so. it really, people are people at the end of the day. And, you know, we all just, we all have everywhere you dreams. go. We want to take care of our families and a lot of the times media and all this stuff can demonize. Well, I mean, that is the job of the media, isn't it? The, the yeah, job gotta, is to be watching, not to yeah, really give you. You got to get as many eyeballs on what they're watching. Yeah. What they're out there. Right? I, I so concur with what you said. Like there's, I have never been to a country and I've, I've gone to a lot of places and I've yet to go to a place that people didn't want to just the basic things of life. They want a little bit of joy. They want to take care of their families, a roof over their heads some food in their bellies and to share in some like camaraderie and laughter. I mean, yeah, there is, you know, we're sold that there's hate all over the world, but, and that's true. There is, there's anger and there's hate everywhere, but there's also equally there's joy, there's wonder, there's compassion. I've never been to a place that I didn't find compassion from somebody. Yeah, yeah, you know? exactly. Um, would you would you say you have a uh, other than Paris? Would you say you have a favorite place that you've been to around the world that you would recommend for our viewers that if they have the opportunity to go? I am to a huge, huge fan of Rome. Uh, Rome. I love yeah. the Italians. I mean, talk about camaraderie! Uh, it is one of the most inviting cultures you could ever experience. They're just amazing people and you can get in a conversation with a stranger and make a, a lifelong friend so easily there but also rome is just i mean i've spent months of my life there and i it never gets old for me there's always a discovery we, i just went for an anniversary trip with my uh, lady in uh in november and we didn't even since we'd been there before, we didn't plan any of the major touristic things. Uh, we just walked around, went to coffee mm -hmm. shops, cafes. But at the same token, there's a thousand churches there. You can go to, uh, I think it's Sant'Andrea, Michelo Sant'Andrea. And it's a, this little tiny church that's kind of the outskirts of the center and see Michelangelo's Moses and be within touching distance of it. And it's just yeah. the incredible art that you just trip into there. So, yeah. yeah. Rome. The Sistine Chapel. I mean, it's you hear about this stuff, but until you go there and I actually when I was in college, 
there was a priest that was at our parish, um, at the local parish at the University of Iowa. And after college, I ended up uh, taking a backpacking trip with some friends to Europe. And he said he, he was going to be in Rome at the time that I was going to be there. Oh, cool. So for four days, I personally I had my own personal tour guide. Oh, how amazing. And as a priest, brought me you know, right into the Sistine Chapel, all the the different chapels that have all the different uh, it's overwhelming. It's so, yeah, so much going on in different languages and you just, you're standing there just in complete awe of the, the artwork, the majesty. It is the absolute breathtaking. majesty of, like you yeah. said, it's, it's sometimes hard to take in just how massively like ornate those places are. Yeah. Very cool. And I, um, and then Milan, Italy, just the, the Duomo, the church there, uh, it was started in 1300. And yeah, wasn't that a several hundred year build or something? Yeah, and it was finally finished in 1960 something. No, that long? Yeah. Oh, wow. It had over like 90 different GCs on it. And oh, wow. Yeah, it was like just insane. I mean, when you and when you get up close to like when you get up top and you get up close to so that craft work, it's, uh, it's, oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's oh, incredible. Man. Yeah. So everyone out there, you got to definitely hit Rome when you always travel, man. Go see for yourself. Yeah. And then the whole time that you were doing the whole modeling stuff, you know, it was, it was I mean, we did shows with Versace and, and, and Mr. Armani. Um, did you ever have any like is there any like notable experiences that you had where Mr. Armani would you know, you'd go to dinner with him or, or Gianni. Oh, yeah, I mean, uh, I got pretty intimate with the Versace's for a while. I mean, I would go to some of those dinners and there's probably some stories I shouldn't tell. So <laughs> <laughs> I went to Gianni's funeral. He was, he was a really kind man. I mean, from yeah. the very first time I met him, he had just a uh, gentle soul. So gentle. He, he yeah. never made you feel like you were small or just an object in his purview. Um, yeah, I really liked him. Uh, I uh, when I think of those shows, I, I always reflect on how we bent time. Like you were expected to be in two places at the same oh, time. You yeah. got to start this show while you're going to start that show, and somehow it all worked out. Like, yeah, it just constantly. I would, I would collapse at the end of a show. Being whisked around in these cars and mopeds and <laughs> Jason, Jason, like, screw the screw the car, jump in the metro. Yeah. Yeah. And just to right. give people an idea, you go to these shows <clears throat> and you're waiting around <clears throat> for a bit. And then you each model has their own personal dresser, like two people that when you come running off the runway and you start stripping off your clothes, they're already like putting pants on your leg and they're like putting your shoes, you're yeah. tying your shoes. And then they're like, okay, go, 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 Jason, Jason, no, out, out. <laughs> and it's just like, you just throw it and then you get out there. And then did anyone ever teach you how to walk? Or did you? Uh, John Wayne. John Wayne? Walk like you're walking on a beam, kid. <laughs> that was from some interview. I never yeah. met him, but, you know. Uh, you know, one of my other, like, memorable, like, I think it was my first show, Jean-Paul Gaultier. Mm. And he's got it super highly stylized. And uh, I don't know if I can speak bad language here, but uh, <laughs> he wanted everybody going out with cigarettes. And it uh, came to the point, and he's screaming, "Where's my damn cigarettes?" And I'm, you know, it's new, and I'm like, hey, "Sir, it's okay. I'm, I'm happy to walk out there." And he's like, "Oh no, fuck him! It's my show." 
Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, he was another really kind man. I, there was such an, you know, and I'm so far removed from uh, from that now, but there was such a, a artistry. That, oh, yeah. And it was one of the first places that I got to experience living creativity. Oh, know? yeah. Like, Between the photographers and the stylists and the incredible fashion designers. It, it yep. was a pretty cool world to cut your teeth in from. Yeah. You know, like I said, I was a little small townish from California. You right. tend to think of California as being, you know, Los Angeles and Malibu and the hyper realism that we live in now, but not when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. Same here. Just having Mr. Armani personally fit a suit. Yeah. Fix you up. <laughs> this is the real Mr. Armani. And then asking you to walk. And I, I always remember just how self-conscious I was after he, you know, you've got like a $4,000 suit on and he, he's, he asks you to walk and then you're like, I feel like I don't, I forgot how to walk. I was like, <laughs> conscious about like, what do I do with my arm? It just was like this hyper surreal experience. But as you said, just to be in the presence of these master artists, you could just tell like the way that they would just look at the clothes and the, the vision that they would have for each of the different fashion shows, the different themes, the, and then you have the, the, the stylus and the, the hair and makeup people and just they doing their own artistry, incredibly creative environment to be around. Very and nice. I was like, this is amazing. And what was great about it is the more unique people were, I thought the, the more just cool and special it was because a, a lot of the times we feel like we've got to fit in in order to, in order to like be accepted. And Very it much. was at 23 years old being around all these different people from all over the world who had their own different unique individual styles. I was like, this is freaking cool. Like, I agree with that. I, I think that's where I really started developing a sense of, of things weren't in the, the spectrum of difference. They're in the spectrum of uniqueness. You know, there you, you go. look at things as other than you, you looked at yeah. them as being individualistic and special and incredible to be exposed yeah. to. And the joy of that collage Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Gemini's boring. It's all just, you can't all be rice and beans. I know. Right. Exactly. And so the whole time that you were doing the, the modeling thing in the back of your mind, the idea of becoming an actor, was that something that was. Not really. Um, I, I, I grew up hiding in libraries and movie theaters. Uh, I was always enamored, like I disappeared into the world of story. I mean, I, I devoured, I, I worked in the library as a kid, but it never really occurred to me that I could pursue that myself, yeah. that I got to be or could be a storyteller. Um, my first opportunity woke me up to the fact that I had been telling myself a lie that I didn't have, I wasn't allowed to do that. Um, I was on the cover of a magazine, New York Magazine, um, and I got my first acting gig. And the experience of it, it, it's really what uh, caused me to leave modeling because I left at the kind of the height of my career because I found something that was closer and more akin to what I wanted to do inside. Mm -hmm. Dick Abaddon, uh, who was one of my favorite photographers I ever worked with, had suggested that I'd be better as an actor. But I just I don't know. I felt like that was other people's purview. I did. Yeah. What right did I have to that? I'd never grown up around it. I'd never really studied it. And so here I was at 25 and I've, I'm all of a sudden on a TV series and I was like, oh, 
this is storytelling and I want to be a storyteller. Yeah. So that's what really brought it to, to bear for me. So how did you, how'd you, how'd you uh, were you like, did you think about doing that beforehand or? It was one of these things where I was in New York city going on the modeling auditions. And then I got hooked up with this commercial agency and they, they would send me on commercial auditions that didn't really require acting. It was like, here, sit in this car and pretend like you're driving or, you know, like Gillette commercials, just, just go up to the mirror and never had enough of a beard, man. (laughs) (laughs) And so I started to book some of the, my first commercial was a Folgers coffee commercial. Okay. And so I started booking these commercials mainly because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was like, all right, I can do this. And why say no? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and it was one of these things where when someone offers you the opportunity to do something, even if it's something you've never done before, do it, man, just get out there, check it out. You never know what it's going to be like until you do it. And I felt like this is pretty exciting. And then they said, well, you're booking these commercials. Have you ever thought about doing TV, film acting? And growing up, I was more of an introvert, kind of shy. It wasn't really something that I felt like, I mean, I don't don't know any actors. I played sports and figured that's, I mean, not even on the radar. And so at the behest of uh, my, my agent, she said, why don't you take an acting class and see if you like it? And so I just, again, someone offers an opportunity, check it out. So I jumped into this class and I'm telling you, Jason, it was one of the the first times in my life where I actually felt like I felt free to be fully self-expressed to actually, I was like, wow, like we get to really truly connect and communicate with someone because out there in the real world, it's just like, Hey, how you doing? Great. You know, and it's, we have very little opportunity to truly connect to someone on that deep, intimate level. And so I started reading these amazing scripts and I was like, wow, this is like, well, in New York too. I mean, you're, you're around all the plays that you could have access to. I mean, Broadway didn't used to be 300 bucks for a ticket. Right. Uh, when we were younger, it's, you know, I'm, I'm working on writing right now and I have something that I have up on my wall just to remind me of why. And it's very akin to what you're saying. You know, a good story well told can make a person feel better and know they're not alone and help yeah. them articulate their own lives. Yeah. And I got so much of that as a kid out of story. So I had a kind of similar experience, the ability to participate in that. Yep. It was amazing. It helped self-expression, uh, self-discovery. And yep. you're, you're diving into these lives, especially if you're playing a really rotten, individual or working on it you, you couldn't sit there in judgment of that you had to figure out why they felt they had to behave yeah. the way they were so true i'm yeah. glad you said that because acting has helped me have a deeper understanding of why people do what they do as actors we our job is to analyze motivation behind our characters and it's very easy to just see someone do something like kill someone or do something and just write them off as an evil or bad person but if you start to dig a little deeper and find out who they, where they grew up, how, and I'm not justifying or saying it's, it's right. No, it's not about justifying or condoning the behavior, but right. if we can have some understanding, compassion, we might just be able to move people out of a situation. Exactly. All I know is if you start pointing fingers at people, they don't seem to become more flexible. No. They get a little more rigid <laughs> and a little more dug in on the, whatever stance they're taking. Yeah. And if you can have that empathy for what maybe their circumstance, I've, you know, I've had different ex- 
experiences with that. One of the lighter ones to keep it light. Uh, there's a little girl I was working with on a film and she was uh, in the cast and we we're in like the middle of Louisiana and she said something that was a little off tone and I started getting on her for it. And somebody had the wherewithal to go, Hey, Jason, slow down. She's never heard anything different. She grew up on a farm. She's not mm -hmm. trying to be mean, but you're jumping down her throat is forcing her to defend herself from right where she is. And you're not giving her a conversation. And mm -hmm. I was like, that is a great point. And she was, she was a sweetheart, total sweetheart. And she'd just grown up. There's no meanness in her. She just parroting yeah. some stupidity that was said around her. And yeah. having backed off might have just given her the room to think differently. Yeah. Certainly wouldn't have if I just kept going at her. Yeah. So. I think it really helps us understand where when we understand where someone is coming from. There's compassion that's there that can help us try to bridge that that gap between where they're at and a lot of the times most people do things out of desperate situations or for desperate reasons and sometimes it just uh you know people it's again i'm not condoning it saying it's right but when you start to understand why people do what they do you can start to meet them where they're at and then hopefully well, and that's such the, the sad part about what's going on with the media and politics and everything right now. It's, you know, these algorithms are designed to put us in as frenzied and narrow an opinion we can uh, have. And again, we were talking about traveling. It's why I think traveling is so important. It reminds you that your point of view isn't the only point of view and that others have very bad, but also it does something else. When you see people around the world, there is literally more that binds us than separates us. And all that's talked about is what separates us and why we should be us and them. Yeah. And it's it's easy to grab people at their bias and their their anger. But there's so much that that, you know, again, I've never met a person who doesn't want a little joy in their life. Mm -hmm. And if we could get that message out more. Yeah. I want to go back to when you first started thinking about acting and you had that that say that the belief because I had the same belief of well who who do I think I am to do that like I see Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt but I'm just calling from a small little town outside of Chicago how did you bridge that gap between thinking that and then actually getting your first job I had a I had an epiphany moment uh, so I didn't actually bridge that gap before, uh, having my first job. My first job came as an opportunity because of the notoriety I generated for myself as a model. Um, and I got offered this part and when it was all done, I was deeply missing it and making sense of it. And I was in an acting class in New York. Um, and I remember the moment I was walking down Prince and Broadway and I had heard this, dialogue in my head like I was an audience member about oh, yeah you could do that after you've had a career after you've settled you can go tell stories once and I was like wait a second that's not a voice I want to listen to and at that moment I felt like my foot didn't hit the ground I was turning on to Prince off of Broadway and I just I was like wait what happened to the ground there for a second it was such a out of time moment for me and I mm -hmm. I had the wherewithal to listen to it and I was like this is 
this is something that you're obviously really want to pursue, pursue it. And it was hard. Nobody supported the decision. I was making a lot of money. I was, you know, working with people that were relying upon the business we were doing in tandem. Uh, mm -hmm. Everybody was like, you're not going to make anything out of that. What are you doing? Are you stupid? You got this great opportunity right in front of you. And probably I could have transitioned. I, I have a tendency to just jump in both feet. And so I did, I completely walked away and it took some time. It, wow. it That's took some huge, time to, get Jason, to walk yeah. away from the height of your career, walk away from the money that you were making. Huge or young enough to have the hubris to do it. I mean, but it goes to show you how much you cared about pursuing something, you know, in your heart was something you that spoke to you. Right. And I try and follow that. It does. It's not always an easy path. So I don't, you know, I don't, you know, blame anybody who takes the more comfortable route, but yeah, I storytelling has meant a lot to me and getting to participate in it has been an absolute reward, you know? Yeah. It's, it's I used to hide in trees, reading books, man, to make sense of the world, you know, whether yeah. it was reading something deep like Hemingway or Aesop's fables, you know, it's just that, or Marvel comics. The, those were some of my original favorites because it, it talked yeah. about a sense of not being different, but unique. You're like, oh yeah, okay. Because I, I, I always felt like, I was like you, a bit of an introvert, never really felt mm -hmm. super comfortable in my skin as a young man. Certainly didn't want to be in front of a camera. Yeah. So. <laughs> like, <I> mean, <laughs> a photography camera is way different than a motion picture camera. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So um, Maria Hart is asking, she's asking, how long did it take from when you first started acting to where uh, it's, I think she's, what she's asking is, were you scared when you first started acting and how, how long after you first started acting, did you start feeling comfortable as an actor? Um, whew, God, that's, that's subjective. Auditioning was always harder for me. Uh, because I, I always had that, still do, uh, you know, that feeling like you're doing a book report and you're going to get called out by the, the, the teacher for not knowing your material. Um, I took to the acting pretty quick because of the, just, I, when I'm on set, I, something else goes on in my body. I, I love a set. I love the energy. I love the creativity. It's this collaborative experience. And, and I am lucky, I think, in my perspective of it. I don't think that it's all about me. I really, I love stories so much. So when I'm there, I feel like I'm a part of a, a cog in the machine. And so I'm there to participate in a whole. And so I don't feel the weight and burden of everything. I'm playing. Man, when you find another actor that you can play with too, oh, it's so fun. Like, it is so fun. So the uh, the police are coming after me. Uh oh, <laughs> I had helicopters. You got that? Well, it's going to hell. Who would you say are some of the uh, your most favorite people that you've you've worked with? In all my years, uh, I'll, I'll give you one. One of my favorite people I ever worked with was Lawrence Fishburne. I was oh, young. I mean, I was intimidated as hell, uh, and when we went to do a pre-read with the director and the producer, um, what was the project? It was called the legend of Bobby Z. I had a small part in a Paul Walker, uh, Lawrence Fishburne film. And he, 
what a true gentleman and a really a true actor. We we were in there talking and uh, discussing with the director and the director had his ideas and we had ours and they kind of vibed and uh, he looked at me and very Fishburne-y, real direct. <laughs> hey, what? <laughs> <laughs> you want to come to my room and play with it? I was like, you're Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. Of course I do. <laughs> Um, I think that's one of my favorite memories I've ever had actually being on a set with somebody. He just, he was so inviting and so engendering and just you know, supportive of the process and yeah. like, you're doing good kid. Enjoy it. So, yeah. Yeah. There's certain actors. They just seem so grounded in who they are and their work that they just radiate. You know, they just have this like, extra gear somewhere well it's it really is a, it's a beautiful art like you know uh you mentioned getting uh that play that i did with woody he was an amazing uh director yeah. because he was an actor and he was so good about like moving the energy uh back and forth when you have another artist in front of you that really has plays in that space it's it's so fun because you're not sitting there pushing energy out you are passing it back and forth and it feeds you. You, yeah. you start getting carried along on the, the whole process of it. It's yeah. no longer something you're striving to do. It's something you're just barely keeping up with. Exactly. So for me, it's, it's without getting too woo-woo here, it, it's a spiritual experience. I mean, it almost feels like an out-of-body experience where when you're in it and you just, you're, you're in that kind of that Zen moment where you've done your work, you show up and you connect with, the other actors that you're playing with on set, it's almost as if like the energy of the character, you're allowing that character to just exist in you without you necessarily even knowing what's going on. When you can let go and just be in the moment like that, it is one of the, it's, I would imagine it's like when you catch that perfect wave when you're surfing and you're, yeah, just, you're in that flow state, you're no longer yeah. striving against the moment you're in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and then we got to talk about Sex in the City. I mean, I'm, that's what a lot of people know you from. Absolutely. Um, what I actually auditioned for that role. So when you oh, yeah? got, sorry about that. And I didn't get it. I was like, God <laughs> damn it. He beat me again. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize we were competing. You did such a great job with the role. Uh, so tell us what was that experience like? And um, did you have, a lot of fun on it. Was it challenging? Were you nervous when you first got booked on the show? Uh, I was, uh, I was so nervous my first day. It was pretty funny, actually. There was a couple of things. Um, I so I really loved it. I think the reason I got the role is I mentioned that you know that uh, silly ass scene where I have to do a full Monty as a play. Yep. <laughs> well, he, I'm getting a direction in the audition from Michael Patrick King, and he. Uh, he said, no, I want it like more austere. I think I was playing it up or hamming it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, you mean like a Pintner play? He's like, yes, yes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, probably trying to sound smart and just read a play or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so I got the job. Um, my first day, it was, they had a deeply 
integrated system by the time I got there. You know, this was a family. I was I was stepping into it. What season uh, did you jump on? Uh, it was season five. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So, um, and my very first scene had me being objectified in a room full of women. And I remember Michael came up to me and I, I was, I was nervous. I just uh, had lunch uh, and during lunch, um, it was in a cafeteria across the street, a high school, school uh, cafeteria. And I, you know how like the, uh, the directors and the key uh, uh, players will go first just so they yeah. can get them back to makeup and get them ready for, uh, and then the grips and everybody goes second for uh, lunch line. Yeah. Well, the PA didn't know who I was or that I was part of the set and yanked me out of the line and I'm sitting there going, uh, <laughs> and then Sarah knew. <laughs> so I was like, wait, no, I got to get my lunch because I got to get ready for the scene. So I went yeah. back, got my food, and then I realized, oh, I don't know anybody here. And I look out and it was all these high school cafeteria with that fiberglass green table stuff. Yeah. And I felt like I was in a movie and I'm like, oh my God, where do I sit? Yeah. And Sarah was so sweet. She saw me standing there like lost, uh, you know, <laughs> just brought me over and sat me down. Um, and then I went into my first scene and it was all that objectification. And I had so much nervous energy in my body. Michael Patrick came over and my first direction from him was, you're doing a great job and I'd love to film you if you could just stand still. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just stay on your mark, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, right. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That thing. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. And then how soon would you say after being there, how soon after that did you start to feel comfortable and and pretty pretty quickly michael was an incredible showrunner uh and he he was uh aided by john melfi incredible showrunners producer um and they they really did they had a, a, a such a well-oiled machine but it was also in new york city mm -hmm. and new york was the backdrop of me just feeling in my skin that's that's a place where i really started to feel like who I was and uh, was acceptable, whatever that was, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I think that helped a lot too, because oftentimes we're shooting in, in the city and the element of just being in that energy, just yeah. easily grounded. But there was a really supportive uh, environment from casting all the way up. So awesome. Yeah. Cool. And then from that, that being on that show and playing that character, uh, you know, in some ways, sometimes actors can get uh, objectified or pigeonholed into one type of, of role. Do you feel like that happened to you at all? Were you able to, I mean, obviously you've been able to do a ton. No, I, I think it's sure, sure it happens. But I mean, like what, what room do I have to complain? There's, that's, that's some real, you yeah. know, nitpicky problems. You know, yeah. It's, uh, I think. That's an easy thing to say. Um, I just really try and count my blessings. <coughs> I do like to play darker because I think they're, mm -hmm. it's a harder character to empathize with. But, you know, if I got to be a nice guy, I'll play the nice guy. Yeah. Well, you said that you, uh, you've started to write a novel, right? Yes. Is, is writing, is that something where you want to start doing more of? Maybe a screenplay, create your own projects. That yeah, way. I mean, I've actually been writing for years. Uh, there's this great quote from Ira Glass that I'm going to totally mess up, but it just basically, uh, so I'm not going to try and do it. 
but basically just says, you know, we get into these creative pursuits because of our taste. And he wished somebody had told him as a young man that the journey from where your taste is to being able to execute on that taste is, is a long one. Uh, I've been writing for years. I've written a bunch of different scripts, but I have an incredible critic and never really wanted to put out okay work. Mm -hmm. This is a story. Uh, this is a fantasy series, a world I started building years ago. And I originally wrote it as a script years ago. And <coughs> I realized I just didn't have the acumen. It was the, the idea was bigger than my skill sets to put it together. So I put it away. Um, and I've studied writing for years, read books like there's this great book on editing called Story Grid by uh, Sean Coyne. Uh, you know, read the, uh, the Virgin's Promise, The Heroine's Journey. There's just I've studied so much about story and structure. I finally felt that I had the skill sets to approach it. Mm -hmm. And then my fiance gave me uh, one upmanship. She's like, we'll write it as a novel. And I was like, oh, damn you, <laughs> just something else to learn. But she was right, because there is a freedom to do it. Like, it really is. I think it's going to be nine books. I'm almost done with the first one. And there is a freedom of creation where I'm not sitting here worrying about how is this going to produce. You know, like, I, I've got, it's, it's you know, a world with my own system of magic and mm -hmm big set pieces and I'm in no position to be, uh, you know, writing games of Thrones type money stuff. But as a novel, I can, I have a complete license and freedom to do whatever yeah. I want and without that ceiling. So yeah, uh, almost there. I am, I'm, I've got a deadline at the end of February, but it'll probably be the end of March uh, to get the first draft done. Awesome. So I wrote a book a couple of years ago as well. I, uh, I saw that. Now that I almost think would be harder what inspired you to write that? I met a woman who it's came the up agile with artist, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I, I got asked to speak at this event here in Chicago. Uh, it was this kind of entrepreneurial event, and it was to talk about what it was like to audition in Hollywood and social media and, and all about personal branding and that sort of thing. And so I got up there and I spoke for like a half hour, and then this woman came up to me and she said, "Why well, you have a really interesting story. Have you ever thought about writing a book? And again, Jason, not even on the radar. And I was like, well, I mean, I maybe down the road when I'm 80 in some retirement home, you know, put pen to paper. But um, she was like, well, I, you know, that's what I do. I publish books and I can help you write a book if you'd like. And I thought, you know, what an amazing opportunity. And again, someone offers an opportunity. Go for it, man. Go for it. I love you keep saying that. I love your opinion on that. Yeah. And all along the way, you, gar, you are going to hit obstacles. And a lot of it just comes down to, well, what do I need to learn in this process to actually make it happen? And a lot of people I find they're like, well, I'm too old for that. Or they just make up in their mind that it's it's not possible. But every time I've taken that opportunity that walked through that door, when that opportunity opened up, you learn as you go. And as long as you're, you're being mentored by someone who has done it and who has been there before, so take advantage of that. If someone and with the internet, I mean, that is one of the great things about the internet. There is mentorship at your fingertips, even if you can't find it in your direct purview. Yeah. It's there. I, I'm so yeah. with you. It's, there's, yeah. 
you know, these obstacles, we, we've been so trained to think of them as problems, but they're really just the, the waypoints to your successes. It's like, if, if you're not struggling, you're not growing. And yeah, it's, I think I talked over you. You said they are the what to your the waypoints to your successes, the waypoints to your successes. Love that. You know, it's, it's terrifying to learn something new, but we get so comfortable and we like, we take less out of life. Like, Learning to embrace adversity uh, as we get older is, I think, one of the best things we can do for ourselves. I just read this fantastic book. I, I suggest for anybody. It's uh, it's a self-help book. It's uh, it's called The Big Leap okay. uh, by Gay Hendricks. And it's, it's beautiful. He calls it your upper limit problems and how we tell ourselves these narratives to keep ourselves small. Mm. I could never do this. I could never be this person. And whether that voice came from a parent or a peer or just from yourself, whatever it is, and learning to recognize that and, and push those thoughts aside, not deny them, but say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and try this. And like, who am I? I who am I to try this? Well, why not? not? <laughs> why not? You know? Yeah. I, when I started out, and there's still taste. I mean, like I look at this thing and I, I say I'm going to make the first draft. That doesn't scare me. The revision does. Yeah. You know? like, I'm like, oh, my God, the revision of it. But I'll look at the thousands of things I did. I'm like, oh, my God, I have no idea what to call this, uh, this thing. And I'm like, yeah, but you just came up with the name of that metal, you know. Uh, and you look at it. So you start really giving credit to the things that you achieve instead of constantly staring at what you have not yet done. And having a mentality for that, again, we're, we act like we're supposed to be experts in all things and we're not allowed to make mistakes. Right. Fail a lot. Learn to fail tons. That's how you go yeah. forward. Love it. Francis Rudd says, I'm excited to read anything by you, Jason. So you better Thank hurry. You, Francis. Well, I'm excited to get it out there to be read. Yeah. Awesome. Hopefully by the end of the year. I think it's going to take about five revisions. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, we're... We're nearing the the hour of the show already. I can't believe um, it. I feel like we could chat for another couple hours. Um, but uh, I just uh, have a couple of uh, last questions here. Um, one of them is to anyone out there who's thinking about becoming an actor or writing a book or doing something. I think we've kind of touched on that. What advice would you give someone who's contemplating doing something where they have had those thoughts of, well, who am I to think that I could do this? Um, I think that first and foremost, I would ask yourself why you want to do it. Mm. You know, we, we get into this notion of what we're supposed to be doing because of external validators, again, people in your life. So ask yourself, is this something you truly want to do? Mm -hmm. Um, and if so, I would say, look, man. You know, there's a cliche of it's better to have tried and failed than never tried at all. But there's a real truth to that. Like, we learn through our mistakes. Look at a child. A child doesn't know how to do something. Mm -hmm. You know, think of the first, like, you know, not everybody's an ex extremist sport uh, advocate as I've been in my life. But none of those sports I did did I know how to do them until I fell a bunch of times. So whether that's riding your bike or skating your skateboard or even learning a language, look at a child struggling in a language. We take for granted that we speak fairly well in our language, right? Mm -hmm. And learning to embrace 
the failure and not to feel terrible about yourself. I say, if you feel that it's something that you truly want to do, yeah, don't hold back. And there is never a right time, but right now, like you're never too old for it. I don't care. You, you know, you're 70 years old and you want to make a career change, go for it. You're 30 <laughs> years old and you want to make a career change, go for it. You're yeah. 16 years old and you want to make a life change, go for it. Awesome. Yeah. And find the people who are going to support you because, you know, oftentimes people don't want to see that change because they're comfortable where you are in their lives. Yep. And a lot of times somebody else's approval to do what you feel you love. Well said. And I think a lot of the times people have good intentions with trying to give you helpful advice, but it really is, it's, they're looking at life through the lens of don't get hurt, be safe. And you got to get out and get your knees skinned up in order. Yeah, to man. Take your bruises. It's, it's sweeter on the other side. Yeah. I mean, I've got scars on my body from learning to surf, but boy, do I love being on a wave. You know, I got a cut thumb from going out to <laughs> play with my buddy. We, uh, we did some bushwhacking uh, this weekend, went off trail hiking. Awesome. And we were tearing branches down to get through this gorge. And I fell down a few times, but I had a damn good time. Awesome. So is, would you say getting out in nature is something that you do to recharge? To It grounds me greatly. Yeah. Uh, I tend to have a very busy dialogue in my brain. So I'm a big fan of meditation and mm. nature and sports has always been a way for me just to naturally get out of my own way and be in the moment. Yeah. yeah. Have you done uh, actually any training with meditation? I have. Uh I've done, you know, I did Vedic meditation, which is transcendental meditation and training yeah. that. Uh, I am a big proponent of meditation and also that there is no right way to meditate. Yeah. Whatever works for you. There is so many different types of meditation out there. Uh, you know, find yoga nidras. That's a great uh, process of meditation. Guided meditations I'm hugely for. Helps mm -hmm. get you out of your brain and into your, uh, you know, your center. Uh, so whatever works for you, I'm for I really, this idea of a right way of meditating just seems like another ego trap. Yeah. So. Yeah. I took, when I got uh, hired on Melrose place, everyone just kept saying, man, you're going to be this, the old Melrose place was on TV for so many years. You're going to be this huge star. Look at those houses up in the Hills. Which one do you want? And I was like, I haven't even shot a damn episode yet. So like, <laughs> I just started this anxiety started to just, oh, wow. I mean, I, I pressure on hardly breathe. So a buddy of mine, uh, you may know him. His name is Derry Watkins. He goes by lights. Now he, uh, he teaches transcendental meditation. So I called him up. I'm like, Derry, dude, you got to help me, man. You do this meditation thing, right? Like, does this work? Cause I got anxiety up the wazoo right now. I need your help. And he, he said, yeah, come on down. Went down to Venice and, yeah. um, yeah. For five days straight in the morning, he just teaches the process of just sitting quiet for the 20 minutes. And if you can't do 20 minutes, you just kind of leading up to it. Which I, I'm a huge fan. I, I still think I, I like a, a transcendental meditation. Um, there is a really great, uh, Ram Das has a guided meditation, which is called awareness. And he's honking horns and everything through it. So. No. Meditation in and of itself is great in silence, but it's also good to learn how to embrace the noise. Mm -hmm. And so like, <clears throat> it's about 
getting some detachment. This, I think uh, Ram Dass said, like we have this inordinate attachment to our thoughts. Mm -hmm. Getting oh, and I certainly suffer that. Yeah, I sure do love to think, um, and think that the thinking I'm thinking is worth thinking. <laughs> and sometimes it's good point. <laughs> stop, you know, just stop and find that little peace within. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Well, dude, uh, thanks for being here. Yeah, Paul, what a joy, man. Super what a great conversation. Thank you. And um, you've got uh, you've got this charity that you work with. Um, what's it called? It's called Best Buddies. Um, yeah. I've always been a fan of uh, being involved in something outside of yourself, uh, philanthropic. I think it's uh, the best selfishness in the world, you know. It's ultimately for yourself. Uh, this one I really love because it's functional. It, mm -hmm. it operates really well. Uh, it, it's sort of a big brother mentorship program, big brother, big sister mentorship program that yeah. people who are on the spectrum and partners that are up with a buddy um, who is there to help reach out. But it also it functions to help with job placement, uh, educational placement, and you know, to kind of give an example, the first time I went to check out the organization, because it just didn't want to be involved in something that's taking people's money. Um, mm. I met a guy who was so severely on the spectrum that he could barely, you know, look at anybody. Um, but boy, did he love organizing and filing. And he worked at a law firm. He was in his, his joy space. Mm. Whereas, you know, you meet somebody else who is really outgoing and hyper interact with people and they're working in a restaurant instead of just, you know, the cliche idea of stick them in a job that's low stress, like box uh, bagging groceries. Now, nothing to say against bagging groceries. That's your niche. Yeah. But to give more inclusion to people and man, we're all on a spectrum of communication. Some degrees. I know people that are perfectly normative who can't get out of their own way. And yeah. so just, Allowing more space for people. I, I love that they provide that. That's awesome, man. Yeah, That's it's a really, really cool charity. Yeah, awesome. Well, as we wrap up here, it's time for the particular pick six, my friends. So okay. these are the six questions where you're going to be able to give us some recommendations for some, hopefully, some now, great recommendations for some films that we can check out and watch. I'll tell you, I do not like favorites because I'm ADHD. So I'm like, <laughs> let me give you a list of 100. But I, I went through and I narrowed it down to, to singles and doubles. Okay, awesome. So first question is, what is your favorite movie of all time? Uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Cinegraphically, oh. uh, narratively, it is one of the most incredible, flawless stories. Uh, but I put that right up there with the Iron Giant. Iron Giant amazing animation and it will make you fill your heart all right good one i haven't seen that one. Oh, you will love it i i think every person should see it and every kid should see it talk about inclusion and, and looking at something other and finding the value in it great movie yeah what uh what would you say is the reason why lords of arabia is one of your your favorite movies <sighs> I learned so much about storytelling from it. I just was obsessed with Lean's work. Uh, I, I've probably watched it 20 times. It is, it is an epic that it's a little 
dated now in terms of some of the social and cultural references, but it's, mm -hmm. it, it is so true to character and the obsessive qualities that sometimes blindly drive us to feats that we don't even understand why we're doing them ourselves. Mm. And I think that, again, when you can see something like that in a story, you get a little relief from your own uh, narratives that drive you and you're, you're, you feel hampered and held down under. Yeah, and it's cinematically just beautiful. Cinematography. Is I mean, we couldn't do that for years because production budgets changed. Now we can do it again with uh, CG, but yeah. yeah, it is one of the prettiest films you'll ever see. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. And what is your favorite movie from when you were growing up as a kid? Uh, Star Wars, A New Hope. Awesome. I mean, I'm still trying one. to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm still trying to use the force. It, it's, it never has responded. Yeah, man. I mean, that's why I think the movie resonated with so many people because it's not just about space and you know, shoot them up lasers and Darth Vader. I mean, there's so much mythology and such a deeper wizardry and, and found family and, yeah. and heroes coming to uh, save the, save the day. The it's hero's journey playing out in front of our eyes. Very much a hero's journey. Yeah. Awesome. All right. What would you say your favorite romantic comedy is? Um, favorite romantic comedy, Harold and Maude. Oh, dude. Great movie. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, like, it popped into my brain. And I was like, oh, yeah, forget Harry and Sally. This one. Yeah. So um, Harold is, uh, what is he? He's like a 12-year-old kid. Maude's like. No, he's, he's more like 16, 17. Okay. She's like an 80-year-old woman. Yeah. Um, it's been a while since I saw the movie. But anyone out there, you gorgeous. have to watch this movie. It is and it's, it's just a, it's a journey into embracing your life and feeling, because Harold feels completely son of a wealthy family, feels completely uh, out of place in the world. And he meets this eccentric who teaches him to be himself. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. It's a beautiful love affair. Good choice. And what would you say your favorite comedy is? The Holy Grail, Monty Python. Ah, okay. Amazing. Amazing. Great movie. It's just a flesh wound. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I'll bite your knees. <laughs> Come on. Come on. <laughs> um, would you... Uh, I mean, I, I have to throw out Zoolander. Did oh god, yeah. I mean, it, it, all those films were like the Zoolander films or uh, old school. That whole period of film was fun as hell too. Yeah. Did you I, ever? Just, like I said, I, I tried to pick one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, did you ever meet Ben Stiller while they were filming that? I did. Uh, I didn't meet him while I was filming, but I've met him before. A real lovely man. Yeah. And God, what a talent in our lives. Oh yeah. I mean, he nailed the whole fashion industry. It, so it was just like, dude, like, yes, this was it. Like, <laughs> I mean, that gas man, station scene, man. everybody just dousing yeah. each other with gasoline. Merman. <laughs> <laughs> so freaking amazing. Um, all right. As far as actors go, who would you say is your favorite actor? Paul Newman. Hands down. I think, you know just what an incredibly beautiful man and he played that iconic role but there, that was a man who was just so comfortable in his skin and able yeah. to show humanity whether it was the ugliness of like a guy like hud or you know the verdict or 
you know, virtue and he just was incredible. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Great choice. And favorite actress. Uh, that was a little harder for me. I think, you know, you were like saying in a film, I think favorite character might be like Ripley and alien. Mm. Um, right now, my favorite current actress is Elle Fanning in the great. Her portrayal, it's, uh, I don't know if you've seen it. It's on Hulu. Uh, I haven't. Tony McNamara, it's flawless writing. And her depiction yeah. of this self-centered narcissist with a good heart versus a self-centered narcissist with a dark heart who plays Peter the Great and it's Catherine the Great. It's an okay. amazing story. And she's just so lovely in it. It's, it's awesome. so endearing. Yeah. Awesome. Definitely have to check it out. Well, you've given us some... Great recommendations. Appreciate it, Jason. My brother, what a pleasure talking with Dude, you. Thank you for this. See you again. You've always been awesome um, and uh, keep inspiring. And that leads us to the last question What inspires you, my friend? Waking up in the morning. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> I'm still here. Go make something another day. Uh, no, I mean, not to be glib. I think. If I could have an impact through storytelling, much like story had an impact on me, mm -hmm. then I'll have done my, my duty on this planet. You know, to really give space for people through storytelling, I think it is one of the coolest things out there. And yeah. it's something that, you know, I use so much as a child myself. I still do. I still find my heroism uh, through stories I read. Yeah. Well, Walt Whitman has a great poem and the very end of it, it says, may you contribute a verse into the greater play of human of life and humanity. And Jason, you've definitely been contributing some amazing verses that uh, have inspired so many. Thank you so much. Man. Thanks, man. What is the name of that poem? Do you know? Uh, oh, me. Oh, my. Oh, me. Oh, my. And it's uh, it's from in Dead Poet Society, Robin Williams's character. Oh, yes. It's okay. Yeah. I will read that tonight. Yeah, definitely. All right, all right dude. All the best to you. Wish you, uh, you as well. All your dreams come true. You deserve it, man. My, my, my friend. <laughs> you too, brother. Thank you so much. I hope it's not too long before I see you again. Yep. Sounds good. All righty. Take care, dude. Bye. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome uh, conversation. Thanks so much again for everyone who has been here tonight. Uh, you know, I've known Jason for quite a while, but again, this is a great opportunity just to, uh, to just to get to know him better on a deeper level. Um, so many amazing things that he mentioned tonight, so many nuggets of wisdom. And I think the theme for uh, this conversation would definitely have to be just go for it. Just whatever opportunity out there is presented to you. It's, I loved when he just talked about you're never too old to do it. Whether you're 16, whether you're 70, just go for it. And that little voice in our head, as he talked about, we all have it. And it's a matter of you deciding whether you're going to listen to that voice or you're going to listen to your heart. Because when I asked him about what was that thing that bridged the gap between when he decided that he was finally going to go after doing pursuing his acting career, he said he was walking through Soho. And he just realized in his heart, it was something that he truly wanted to do. So hopefully that uh, encourages you all to just keep going after what is in your heart and what matters to you. 
no matter what. And uh, that may you contribute a verse as well to uh, this magnificent life that we have. And uh, great to see you guys all here. Thanks for your contribution. And uh, I will see you guys all next week. Also,